Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. High 24 recently announced the closing of the world's largest clean hydrogen infrastructure fund at 2 billion euros assets under management. The fund is focused on scaling proven hydrogen technologies for mature infrastructure assets and aims to play a major role in decarbonizing the global economy. Alejandro Perillon, head of the Americas at High 24, that's HY24, is my podcast guest today. And we'll talk about how the portfolio will be diversified across geographies and value chains to scale up the clean hydrogen economy. We will also touch on how the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act will impact the development of hydrogen energy infrastructure in the U.S. going forward. Hello, Alejandro, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi, Paul. It's great to be here with you, and uh, thank you for having me on as your guest today. We're very excited to have you on because uh, Will and I are both very big fans of hydrogen energy. So can you provide us with an overview of HY24 and the role you're looking to play in the deployment of capital within the hydrogen sector? Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, HY24 manages a uh, relatively new infrastructure fund that is 100% dedicated to investing in the clean hydrogen sector. We recently completed the fundraising process for our inaugural fund, uh, and we're able to raise a total of 2 billion euros in commitments. Uh, This capital will be deployed across the full clean hydrogen value chain with the goal of trying to help foster both the supply and, and, and demand sides of the sector. So, Uh, On the former, or what we like to call the upstream, uh, that can mean investing in either developers that go out and build a portfolio of projects, or it can mean investing directly in production assets themselves at the SPV level. And then on the latter, or what we call the downstream, we're focusing on the mobility space and all of the associated infrastructure that that entails. So things like retail refueling stations or behind the fence hydrogen refueling infrastructure. So think airports, ports, bus and taxi depots. Uh, We're also looking at asset leasing models where we can team up with uh, OEMs and midstream opportunities as well. Now, the fund itself is French-based, but we do have a global mandate and are targeting to deploy 50% of the capital in Europe, 25% in Asia Pacific, and 25% in the Americas. We also qualify as a sustainability fund under the EU regulation. So we do consider things like GHG emissions and carbon intensity scores when we're looking at, at investment opportunities. And then in terms of the investment amounts that we aim to deploy, we're targeting a range of anywhere from 50 to up to 200 million euros per opportunity, roughly speaking. Uh, And then lastly, I'll just say that we have a strong preference for being minority shareholders. And the main reasons for that are are twofold, really. A, because we want to leverage our, our capital. We hope to have a multiplier effect of 10x for every dollar we invest. And B, because we believe strongly in the power of 
partnering and collaborating with other parties. We're very excited that we've been able to raise $2 billion, but we're also cognizant that the clean hydrogen industry is going to need a lot of capital over the next several years. And it's going to need multiple stakeholders all in the same boat, all rowing together if it has any chance of, of being a success. Thank you, Alejandro. Now, you mentioned a term, OEM, in your response. Tell our listeners what that term stands for. Yeah, that's original equipment manufacturers. So uh, companies that are uh, producing or, or, or building the trucks, the ferries, the planes, what have you. Um, and so we can team up with them to purchase those equipments uh, and then lease them out to, to fleet operators. Okay, well, that's great. That's a, that's a helped a, my understanding of, of, of that part of the process uh, quite a bit. I appreciate it. Now let's talk a bit about the investors and the capital that is behind this fund and what, what makes HI24's impact fund so unique. Yeah, so something that is extremely unique about our fund is that more than half of the capital we raised actually comes from companies that that already have a presence in the clean hydrogen sector. Companies like Airbus, uh, Air Liquide, Ballard, Chart, Plug Power, uh, Total, Bunsey. I mean, uh, I could keep going. There's, there's many more. But really what that means is that uh, not only can we bring capital to the projects and companies we invest in, but we can potentially bring strategic value to the table as well. This can be in the form of offtake agreements, uh, technology equipment, uh, future exit solutions, or something even as valuable as general knowledge and, and expertise, since we're in effect operating in our own mini hydrogen ecosystem where we're evaluating and, and being involved uh, in the sector on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I'll also point out that our investor base is uh, geographically diversified. So we have insights into different markets across the world and can potentially serve as a link between import and, and export markets even as well. Uh, that being said, it is important to note that uh, the companies in our investor base do not have any sort of uh, preferential rights when it comes to the investments we make, and we're not subject to their specific mandates or strategies. And we think that says a lot in itself about how these players are viewing the clean hydrogen sector. And it's a tacit recognition on their part that again, today we today we need to all work together to get this new market off the ground. You know, let's leave the competition for 20, 30 years from now when the market is fully established and up and running on its own two feet. I love the collaborative approach to, to this work in sustainable finance. It's really so meaningful for all of us and for the future of the whole planet. Uh, I've got another term that I want you to explain a little bit, and that is an offtake agreement, which you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, so um, when we're looking to invest in production assets uh, that can be producing hydrogen or even one of its deriv derivatives, such as ammonia, uh, the counterparty or the customer that will be buying that product is called an off-taker. And so uh, it's similar to uh, what you might see on the upstream portion of the equation, which is on the electricity side with a PPA. An off-take is just a counterbalance to that where 
the customer is offering a commitment to buy a certain amount of volume at a certain amount of price. Um, so that's where the term comes from. Okay, and of course, a PPA stands for a power purchase agreement. Uh, and so that will be part of the hydrogen market as it is of all renewables markets uh, these days. Now, what can you tell us about the fund's first investments? And especially in the US, uh, that's where most of our um, listeners uh, reside and work, especially in financial services. So what kind of investments are you targeting here in the US or in general? Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, we recently closed the fundraising process, but uh, we have already begun putting capital to work. So to date, we have already made three investments, all uh, mainly focused in Europe. Um, we have invested in a developer of ammonia and e-fuels e projects. Uh, that's the first. Uh, a JV that will be pairing renewable assets with electrolyzers to produce clean hydrogen and renewable natural gas. That's the second. And an operator of hydrogen refueling stations in Germany. That's the third. So right there, you can see that we've already shown a commitment to invest in the full value chain, which is one of the core tenets of our mandate. Um, and then in the US, we'll be looking to employ a similar balanced approach. Uh, we already are and expect to continue seeing production projects of 100 to 500 megawatts in size that are looking to sell into the fertilizer, refining, and zero emission transportation markets. In addition, we expect other states to start following in the footsteps of California with respect to their low carbon fuel standards and zero emission vehicle mandates. Uh, we expect this will open up new regional and state level markets for things like hydrogen refueling stations and for fleet operators to start thinking about converting to fuel cell vehicles. So think groups like uh, logistics and shipping firms with their class eight trucks, uh, public transportation authorities with their bus fleets, uh, ship and ferry operators, off-road uh, mining vehicles. There's many more um, use case applications that, that, that we're extremely excited about, really. Uh, and then you can also, you also uh, can't forget about the midstream. So assets that are geared towards uh, storage, like salt caverns, um, but those that focus on transportation of clean hydrogen as well, such as uh, pipelines, liquid tube trailers, and, and marine vessels. Okay, so now we've recently had the Inflation Reduction Act passed by the U.S. Congress. What impact will that act have on the U.S. hydrogen sector? So this has been one of my uh, favorite topics to talk about in, in the past eight weeks. Um, I really can't stress enough how much of a game changer the IRA is for uh, the U.S clean energy sector, but specifically the U.S. hydrogen sector. Uh, in fact, if you look at all of the individual clean energy incentives of the IRA, such as those for wind and solar, uh, battery storage, or, or carbon capture, there's probably not one that has a bigger relative impact on its respective clean energy subsector than the incentives for clean hydrogen. And 
really, there's a lot to unpack. To, there's really a lot to unpack in in the clean hydrogen portion of the IRA. You know, we could have a uh, four-hour podcast on on this topic alone. But uh, the piece that has everyone in the industry uh, talking is what's called the production tax credit or the PTC. You'll hear people often refer to it. Uh, the way it works is that projects that produce the cleanest forms of hydrogen, which is measured as emitting less than 0.45 kilos of CO2 equivalent per kilo of hydrogen produced, uh, will be entitled to receive a tax credit of $3 for every kilo of hydrogen produced. And that's not a tax deduction. Rather, it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar match against the tax liabilities that a project generates. So, for example, if a project owes the IRS $100 but generates $80 worth of credits, the adjusted tax liability would only be $20. So, again, this is, this is a big game-changer for the industry. And now, to put this into greater context, the U.S. currently consumes between 10 and 12 million tons per year of hydrogen, uh, almost all of which comes from fossil fuel-based hydrogen. Now, if that were to all be replaced with the cleanest form of hydrogen, you would be talking about a total addressable market of 30 to $36 billion in tax credits alone per year. That's, that's a level of public support that you just don't see anywhere else in the world right now. And it has propelled the U.S. into becoming one of the most attractive places to develop a clean hydrogen project in the world by far. You know, I really hope that um, the current administration recruits people like you to promote the, these, these parts of the IRA Act going into these midterm elections. They might uh, benefit from that process. Let's talk about ways that the IRA Act will allow traditional renewable energy assets to coexist with hydrogen assets in the U.S. So this is a great topic, and I'm going to bounce around a little, but I, I promise I'll eventually uh, get to answering your question. But, um, you know, a big issue that we have today, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world, is that our electric transmission grids are not designed or resilient enough to accommodate all of the renewable power assets that we need to achieve our energy transition goals. At the same time, hydrogen has a lot of critics out there. And one of the main points of criticism is that it is an inefficient use of clean electricity. Now, there's no doubt that if a clean electron can be consumed the moment it is generated, it makes absolutely no sense to use that electron to produce hydrogen and then eventually convert it back to electricity for use. In that scenario, you'd be losing over 50% of the efficiency along that process loop. However, clean electricity can't always be consumed the moment it is generated. And this can be due to, again, transmission congestion, um, a deficit of demand relative to supply near the source of that clean electricity production, or limitations in the size of battery storage, which today can only store four hours worth of electricity. And so in, this, in those instances, 
the question becomes, is it not more inefficient to let the wind blow or let the sun burn a hole in the ground without capturing it in the form of hydrogen? And that's where pairing renewable power plants with hydrogen electrolyzers has a great role to play. For example, uh, solar or wind developers whose projects may today be indefinitely stuck in the quote-unquote transmission queue can team up with hydrogen developers to produce clean hydrogen behind the meter off-grid today. This could then be used to uh, decarbonize hard-to-evade sectors like fertilizers, steel, and cement, or to power mobility use cases that run on hydrogen fuel cells. And now I get back to your, your question. You know, the, the IRA will help facilitate this because it allows for project owners to pair the tax credits for wind and solar with those for hydrogen. We think this, coupled with uh, the other factors I laid out, will greatly help incentivize developers to build integrated hydrogen projects that pair electrolyzers directly with solar and wind, wind assets at the same site. So that's where we kind of see uh, the future of the clean hydrogen sector trending. And it's something that we're, we're keeping a close eye on over the next six to 18 months. Thanks so much for that explanation, Alejandro. I, I'm really starting to understand why people are so excited about the potential for hydrogen across the renewable energy sector. So that, that's great. Let's talk now about um, the ways that the IRA Act will indirectly impact the global hydrogen markets outside of the U.S. Right. Um, so in the near term, you know, we expect the IRA will, will spur many U.S. projects into moving from uh, the memorandum of understanding stage to the final investment decision stage. Uh, with more projects receiving the green light, uh, electrolyzer manufacturers will, uh, in theory, have firmer customer orders that they'll be able to then use in order to secure the financing they need to build bigger and better and more efficient gigafactories. And as those electrolyzer OEMs achieve greater economies of scale and competition for customers increases, electrolyzer costs should start to come down from today's prices. Uh, the idea is it will likely follow a similar model to what we've seen play out in the solar industry over the past decade, where the cost of solar panels have come down by 90% to where they were in the early 2010s. And this is where the IRA will come into play outside of the US. You know, there are many announced projects throughout the world that are at more of a conceptual design phase. And they're located in places where they would have access to cheap and abundant renewable power. But the key impediment to achieving FID today is the CapEx costs involved. Um, but our expectation is that the sequence of events I just laid out will hopefully tackle that problem in the medium term. And ultimately, our belief is that in the long term, this legislation will be one of many global policy tools that, when looking back a decade from now, uh, will have helped to successfully bring down the costs to build new projects 
and to have established clean hydrogen as an important piece of the global clean energy transition. Alejandro, thank you so much. We're unfortunately out of time for today's episode. We'll have to have you come back and continue to expand on this process in the future. But for now, tell our Sustainable Finance Podcast listeners where online they can find more information about High 24 and the Infrastructure Fund, and how can they reach you with questions about what we've discussed in today's episode. Yeah, so uh, thanks again for, for having me on. Looking forward to uh, joining you in the future. In terms of uh, where listeners can find more information, um, you could uh, go to our website, www.high24partners.com. And then in terms of uh, contacting or reaching out to me, uh, you can email me at a.perion at high24partners.com. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we're, we're actively looking for opportunities to invest in. So uh, looking forward to any projects that uh, your listeners uh, may be working on. Great. Well, thanks again to Alejandro Perellon. And Perellon is spelled P-E-R-E-L-L-O-N. Alejandro is head of the Americas at High 24. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.